Orphan Black, the next chapter, is back for season two, and it's bigger than ever. The official continuation of the hit TV show stars Emmy Award-winning actress Tatiana Maslany as all of the clones. And this season, she's joined by original TV show cast members Jordan Gavaris as Felix, Evelyn Brochu as Delphine, and Christian Brune as Donnie. Season two picks up where season one left off with, spoiler alert, the secret of the clones finally exposed to the general public. Hundreds of previously unaware clones grapple with the news that they are part of a massive military science experiment. Meanwhile, anti-clone protesters fight to have the clones' rights restricted. Caught in the middle, the Sestras want peace, and when an unforeseen threat turns their world upside down, they must join forces with former enemies to protect the ones they love. Orphan Black, the next chapter, is available right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to listen and subscribe, or visit realm.fm for more information. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Welcome on behalf of Sundance TV and The Hollywood Reporter. My name is Matthew Bellany. I'm executive editor of The Hollywood Reporter. And you are here for Up Close with The Hollywood Reporter Indie Actors. We've got a great panel for everyone today. Uh, we're going to go about 45 minutes, 50 minutes, and then I'll open it up for a couple questions from the audience afterwards. But right now, I'd like to bring out our panelists. Let's give them some applause here, everyone. All right, I'm going to do a, a little brief introduction for each one for the two people here who do not know who we have on our panel here. Um, let's start all the way down to the end. We have Vigo Mortensen. Vigo is uh, one of my favorite actors. Uh, you may know him from the Lord of the Rings trilogy, of course. Uh, he's been amazing in films like A History of Violence, Eastern Promises, for which he got an Oscar nomination, The Road, and many, many others. He's here with a film called Captain Fantastic that premieres at the Eccles Theater tonight. Next to Vigo is Bryce Dallas Howard. And uh, Bryce ha is an actress who has been in many, many films as well. She's been in The Help, The Village, Lady in the Water, 50-50. And this summer, she did a little indie movie called Jurassic World. Maybe you saw that one. <laughs> Next to her is Rebecca Hall. Uh, Rebecca first came to my attention in uh, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. I, I loved her in that role as Vicky. Um, she's been in The Town, Frost Nixon, Lay the Favorite, and she was in The Gift this summer. She's here with a film called Christine. Oh, Bryce, I should mention that Bryce uh, directed a film called uh, Shoe... Soulmates. Soulmates. And that... But yeah, spelled like shoe, but it's Soulmates. Uh, and she's in it, and she directed it, and it premieres which day? Tomorrow. Someone tells me. Someone who sounds authoritative has just told me that. Uh... All right, next to Rebecca is John Krasinski. And John, many people first uh, knew him as Jim from the American version of The Office, which was amazing. Uh, he's been in Leatherheads, George Clooney, he's been in Promised Land, and he just starred in the Benghazi movie 13 Hours. And he is here as an actor and as a filmmaker. He directed a film called The Hollers, which premieres... Friday, so he'll be here for the next few days. Uh, welcome to John Krasinski. Next to John, we have Diane Ladd. And Diane Ladd is an actress, producer, director, writer. She's been in more than 120 film and television roles during her career. She's been nominated for three Oscars, for Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, for Wild at Heart, and for Rambling Rose. The latter two, she co-starred with her daughter, Laura Dern, and she is currently in theaters in Joy, which is amazing. Her performance is great in that film, and she's the narrator and plays Jennifer Lawrence's grandmother in that film. She is here with a film called Sophie and the Rising Sun. And directly to my left is Thomas Middleditch. Uh, many know him from one of my favorite shows, Silicon Valley on HBO, in which he is fantastic. Uh, he's also been in films like Splinterheads, uh, Being Flynn, Kings of Summer, 
and the bronze, and he is here with a film called Joshi, which premieres when? Uh, Sunday. Sunday, tomorrow, yes, so check that out. All right, so some of these questions will be for the group, and I encourage you guys to chime in and talk to each other as well as, as answer the questions. But my first question is, and anyone can feel free to answer first, when you're looking at a potential role to do, do you say, I can do this, or do you say, this scares me and I potentially can't do this, so I want to try? What is it that most attracts you to a role? I can do this. Bryce says, I can do this. Why is that? Um, because for me, that's a signal that something, that I connect to something, that I feel like I can envision it in my mind. Um, that doesn't mean there probably aren't, you know, scary elements to the role or the circumstance or what, or not scary, but, you know, challenges. But, um, but yeah, I want to, when I read something, I want to feel like, not I can do this, but I must do this. You know, that's kind of the feeling that you want to have, I think. How about you, Vigo? You've taken on some roles that are extremely challenging. I'm thinking of something like The Road, where it just seems like a brutal shoot. Do you say this is going to be a challenge, or do you think I can do this? Uh, I think it's different in different situations. Sometimes uh, <clears throat> it's that I think I can do it and nobody else can, and I'm going to show them. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, usually... Uh, if I read a story and it's a good story, it's that I think I should do it, assuming that someone wants you to do it, just because you want to do it doesn't mean you, they still have to say yes or invite you. Um, it's that I should do it, but I'm afraid that I might not be able to do it. And that's, that's the main motivator for me, being, being frightened, I suppose, a little bit. It's healthy. How about you, Diane? What, what causes you to say yes? Hello. <laughs> I was way out there, guys. <laughs> Vigo got me started thinking. Uh, sometimes I'm offered a role that's a challenge that I'm not sure I want to do, but maybe because the script says something or maybe because of the money that I decide, <laughs> well, I'm going to tackle this. But, <laughs> but that's not usually the case. So usually the case in spite of if there's no money or a lot of money, whatever it is, if it's a script that I feel that, that either my soul has something to say or that I can share whatever gifts the universe gave me with humanity, then I can say, by golly in heaven, I can do this. <laughs> and that does it. Rebecca, when, after Vicky Christina, you must have gotten a ton of offers to do a ton of different types of films. What, what, how did you go about choosing your next moves? I went and did theater for a year. <laughs> Um, yeah, that maybe not the best move. Um, it was. I loved it. I had a great time. So I didn't. I didn't think about movies after Vicky Christina Barcelona for a while. Um, but generally, when I'm thinking about what to pick, I think it is a combination of something that speaks to uh, something kind of instinctual and mysterious. Um, and uh, it's, it's it is something that I want, but it, it is often it's when I know that I can do it, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. So the process of finding out how I'm going to do it teaches me something about uh, myself and hopefully teaches other people a bit about humanity, like Diane said. Uh, John, so the office ends, and you're sitting down with your agents, and you're saying, okay, guys, what's next? Uh, we do it every <laughs> Tuesday. <laughs> yep. What was the conversation like? Was it, I would like, find me these kinds of roles, or I want a mix of commercial and independent? What, what was the conversation like? Well, I mean, there's no two ways about it. Being on The Office was the greatest thing I could have ever imagined. So for me, it's all about where the good story is. I, I've never been a big dramatic or comedy guy. It's just sort of, where's the good story? And The Office was one hell of a story to be a part of for 10 years, for sure. And so after that, I was just like, I, I really want to be a part of good stories rather than just getting work, if that makes any sense. And obviously, the office afforded me, you know, the opportunity to wait a second and sort of wait to choose things that I really cared about. So that was that was huge. I, I owe it all to the show. And Thomas, you are now on a hit show and probably thinking, okay, what's going to be next for me after this? And how do I balance the show and different opportunities? <laughs> what are your What are your thoughts on the kinds of roles you're seeking? Well, I think I'm in a different place than <laughs> everyone here. Uh, I'm in a place more like, oh, you'll see me? Cool. <laughs> yeah, I'll go for coffee with you, <laughs> you know, aspiring director. 
Uh, By the I'll way, play, there I'll are probably the, many in the audience, yeah, yeah. so you're going to get a lot of response. I'll play the voiceover of the talking boner. Why not? <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Okay. That will do. Um, this, this is a question for Vigo and for, for Bryce to a certain extent. Vigo, you were in a gigantic global franchise trilogy that you know made you a huge star around the world. Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Three. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That one and Lord of the Rings. Uh, did you do you feel coming off of that? trilogy, did you feel that it gave you the leverage to, quote, do what you always wanted to do in terms of roles? Or did you feel pressure to maintain that level of stardom? No, I didn't really change my way of looking at it. I've always tried to find good stories. Uh, there were times early on where it was just, uh, I was glad to have a job, any job, just to learn something. Uh, and then sometimes it was just I had to pay the rent. So you make the most of something that you know is maybe not great writing. You might have a scene or two scenes, and you do your best, and you you can write an encyclopedia about every character, even if they don't have a, any lines. You know, it's up to you. Uh, I like that process, no matter what type of movie, what size role it is. But you, after Lord of the Rings, I just kept trying to find interesting stories. But what I found was that and the same was true for all the actors in that in that movie. Um, and to some degree, the, the crew, you know, a lot of them, they learned in the, in the process of making that trilogy. You know, a lot of the New Zealanders ended up getting work and other stuff. Everybody had an opportunity to do more things, you know. Suddenly, if I read a story, no matter how strange it was, by virtue of me saying, yeah, I'll, I'll play a role in that, then it got financed, you know. And that's great. That's, that's uh, a powerful position to be yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. So then, but I think, you know, each person, I don't judge people what they choose to do. I personally just wanted to tell good stories. And when you have, start to make some money, you have, you have the luxury of being able to wait or try to find something or even do something where you're not paid anything, which I've done several times. Um, and uh, so I didn't change my, my point of view. I just tried to find good stories without thinking about the budget or the nationality or anything. Um, the thing I was, I've always been most concerned with, I guess, as an actor and then on three movies as a producer, is that the movie get to the movie house. You know, I think no movie reaches its full potential, no matter how good or bad the movie is, until it's seen on a screen in a movie house by people who have bought tickets of their own free will, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then they like it or they don't, until that happens. And I know that's, you know, it makes me very old-fashioned, I suppose, in that point of view, <laughs> speaking specifically about independent film, which is essentially what this whole gathering is about, or this week. Um, I think one of the most damaging developments is the fact that so many or most independent movies uh, don't go to the movie house. Or this practice, which I find, you know, it's just it's an easier way to do things than not spend as much money on promotion and so forth. To show movies on, you know, video on demand, Netflix, that sort of thing, before you premiere the movie. And I've had that unpleasant experience. And they always say, no, but we'll do all this stuff. And then they don't. It doesn't last very long in theaters because people have seen it for a month for free on their phones or their TVs or whatever. That, I think, doesn't have to be that way. Uh, and then lots of movies that never get seen in a movie house, which I, I think is a, is a shame. As a producer, I've even gone to the point of taking the movie personally with the actor sometimes and making road trips and going to finding it. It's a lot of work, but you find independent movie theaters and you say, look, just show it Saturday. Show it for a weekend. If people come and you want to keep it a few more days, you have to go there yourself and take it. I mean, I don't know if that's just going to die out completely, but I'm, for as long as I stay in the business, that's what I'm interested in. And I want to see movies in the movie theater. That's why I got into it, seeing how movies do, in the movie theater. How do the, um, I'm curious what the other actors think about this, especially John, who's now, you know, you've got a film here. Uh, do you, is the theatrical experience important to you, or is it just having the most possible people see the film in any format? 
Well, I mean, like Vigo said, I think people choosing to pay money to see your movie is a, the biggest compliment you can get on your, your movie as far as it getting out there. Um, <clears throat> I, I am a little bit different. I feel that at, at this point, you can't stop what's happening, and people want to see movies however they want to see it. I, I don't feel that it should be given away for free by any means. I mean, there's way too many people who are way, working way too hard on these things. But I do feel that... Um, you know, I don't know if I'm going to stand in the way of our movie in particular. If it's like, no, it's either you know, 2,300 theaters or nothing. It's going up against Jurassic Park, guys, or I leave the business. Um, similar budgets. Um, <clears throat> so, so to me, it's like, you know, I, I hope it. I do agree with Vigo that it should have a theatrical run first. You should give it the the, the respect of that first, and then. After that, I think it's it's interesting to see how people find. I certainly have had movies that people found later on down the road that really uh, means a lot to me. Uh, this question will be for everyone, and we'll start with Diane. What's been your most challenging moment as an actor? Trying to be a director and a producer. Really. <laughs> uh, I find I find festivals really important, and I applaud all of you for being here because I, I <laughs> truly believe that. <laughs> call, no, you missed it. No. Stop it. Timing, timing. I do I do think that culture, our culture today can be as important as any bomb. And we in America are losing a lot of money. We are losing it in runaway productions, which is costing you and us. We lose two and a half billion dollars Every decade, at a low tax rate of 20%, that's a lot of money, guys. And it's going into every other country's pocket. I've had to work in Canada 10 times. And they take 23% of my salary immediately for taxes. I directed a film in Toronto and recently did a hallmark there. And I'm telling you, why, aren't, why don't we have those tax incentives? Because... I did get the only federal tax incentive passed in 40 years by the United States government. And what it is, is uh, my husband and I went 17 times, and we got Bush, who I wasn't a fan of, <laughs> but I got George Bush to finally to sign a one, one pitiful federal tax incentive. Now, why do I have to go from Hollywood to Canada, where they've built six major stadiums, worth billions of dollars each on money brought from America. There is something wrong with this picture. When I went to Washington, when Bush signed the one, one pitiful federal tax incentive that says, if you're trying to make a movie, it has to be over $2 million to keep porno and perverts out, and it can go up to $15 million, but in a uh, deprived area, it can go up to $20 million. And right now, every area is deprived. So if you do a picture for $20 million, you have a carrot, a teeny-weeny carrot. Your investor can appreciate, depreciate his investment in the year he makes it. So he didn't get rich by being stupid. So why, instead of giving his money to Uncle Sam, why doesn't he give it to you, not pay those taxes, make more money maybe in a film, and get it all back again? When we passed the law in 2004, the very next year, Louisiana did 23 movies. And then Georgia came on board. And Mississippi, I met with their film commissioner. They're trying to go on board where the help was made. They helped the help. <laughs> and so it's up to all of you to fight whatever state you live in. I help campaign for our governor, but I can't even get a meeting with him. And they passed one little tax incentive in Hollywood. Well, I can promise you it's the studios getting the benefit of those. You have to have half the money before you get any, and you have to fight the system. But my desire to direct, I did direct a film that won me three Best Director Awards in Europe and uh, directed my ex-husband, Bruce Dern. <laughs> the only that? woman, The only woman in history to direct her ex-husband. <laughs> so, ladies, my motto is, if you want revenge, direct your ex-husband. <laughs> Uh, I'm just kidding. He's a magnificent actor. And <laughs> Shelley Winters' last performance in Kelly Preston. And yours truly because I could get myself cheaper. <laughs> but uh, I also just want to say, by the way, that Vigo is an amazing artist. We did 28 Days together. 
And he gave me a book of his artistic work. I have it right on my coffee table, and it's brilliant. So the thing is, always use your other talents as well. All right. All so right. the, I don't know if I answered your question, but I am going to direct. <laughs> that is a good, challenging moment. I'm going to direct a movie this year that I have worked on for 30 years. Hocked my home, over $2.5 million in research, and I want to finally get it made this year. I'm not going to talk about it till I do it, but please say a prayer for me, okay? <laughs> All right, we will ask uh, Thomas your most challenging moment. You're Canadian, right? Um, yes, I'm, an, I'm a... <laughs> now this is awkward. Not only am I Canadian, I'm a Canadian pervert, so... <laughs> I'll happily take your money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, most challenging moment? Uh, in my life? In your career. Oh. Yeah. Let's not go back to eighth <laughs> grade dance. Getting through junior high. I don't know. Uh, uh, it, 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 um, I don't know. Honestly, for me, for me uh, as, a, as like a, a comedian, uh, I say that in quotes, but uh, someone who thinks of himself as a real cut-up, uh, <laughs> when you're shooting comedy, you know when it's good crew laughs or something director comes in and you're like so funny so funny but no one does that in a drama no one's like man you had me dying I loved it uh, it's more just like mm -hmm. congratulations or something strange and it's for me any of the small dramatic I guess uh, work that I've had has always been a, just a total element of self guessing of like uh Where's where's my uh, audible pat on the back from the people who watched it? Where it's it's much more of a quiet, I guess, experience. Um, um, yeah. So how about uh, for Bryce? How about you? Most challenging moment, <laughs> other than uh, running in those heels in Jurassic World. What has been your most challenging moment? Um, most challenging moment. I mean, I think. Um, I don't. Nothing stands out. I know. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about the hills. Um, I think that I think that it's I think what's most challenging overall is um, is to kind of to to always be checking in with yourself and making sure that you're keeping yourself honest and that you are are keeping things in perspective and I mean like that that's a that's a weird thing to say kind of but I think like what we do is it, it, it's an art form it's a craft but um, it's also it's also an industry and um, and sometimes those two things I mean we all know like they don't coexist really in a friendly manner all the time and um, and I think just navigating that dynamic when you you know when you do start working and like your your dreams are starting to come true and then it's like kind of this confusing situation. I think to not get overwhelmed by that on a consistent basis is the most challenging thing for me, honestly. Um, yeah. Re Rebecca, working with Woody with Woody Allen as you did, what was challenging about that? Pe peculiar to working with him. Can I have to answer that one? Can I answer <laughs> the abstract uh, challenge one? I don't know. If you had another one, you can go for it. But I thought that I've always been curious what it's like to, to work with Woody Allen. Um, you know, a lot of people have strange stories about him, and, and I, I don't. I actually I, I had a really good time with him, so I didn't find it. I, didn't f I like that he trusts the casting process, and he has an instinct about someone and he expects you and he respects you to do your work and to turn up and to know what you're doing and you do it. And if, if you have full, fallen short in his uh, imaginings of what you were going to do with a role, he perhaps doesn't help you. But, you know, it's kind of, if, if it's all right, then he's encouraging. And I, lo and I loved him. Can I, can I just answer the challenge Absolutely. question generally? Because... It's something that I keep thinking about, and I suppose I can't think of something specifically the most challenging in my career, but I will say as an actor, there is a very challenging thing that happens when you say yes to a script and you think it's wonderful, and then you turn up to shoot it and it's completely different. And I How often does that happen? Quite a lot, you know, and it's not, it can be good and bad, but I think that as there is, the industry is generally expanding... And the way that Vigo is talking about in terms of Netflix and all of this, I think the creative process is uh, frighteningly diminishing. Like, there's not enough time for, for work to be developed in a way that feels creative a lot of the time. And so there's this sort of pressure to do the, the lowest common denominator thing that we know everyone is going to work. 
And I think that's that's challenging because, you know, as actors, we we're, part of our job is to rehearse and develop and help writers and directors get the best, the most original thing, not the thing that everyone's seen a bunch of times before. Uh, John, what surprised you most about directing yourself? How good I was. <laughs> I was like, jeez, couple notes, guy. I thought um, you were going to say how difficult you were. Yeah, I definitely call myself a guy. Um, <clears throat> no, I think the, the most surprising thing about directing yourself is how quickly you forget that you're even in the movie because I was just so um, <clears throat> in love with my cast and crew and how hard they were working, and you just feel like every single day it has nothing to do with your performance as much as it is um, being there for everybody who needs you. It is, it is a job where you're asked a billion questions every second and you hope that you can answer four of them. And uh, I, I was lucky enough to, like I said, had one of the greatest casts who um, made me look really, really good. And so you just can't let those people down. So my whole fight was for my, uh, my cast and my crew. Vigo, when did you decide you wanted to be an actor? Well, for when I first started to, I mean, I always went to movies. My mom took me to movies all the time when I was little, even, you know, movies that were much too grown up for me. And I loved loved seeing movies and seeing them through her eyes, too, and talking about it afterwards. But I never, I, th I didn't think about doing it until very late. And when I did, it was because I, it was when I started to see, um, I was, I was, uh, I started seeing movies in uh, a revival house, and uh, and then for a while I was working, you know, selling tickets in a in a movie theater like that, and I started to see, you know, European movies and Japanese movies and, you know, great directors Carl Dreyer, uh, Bresson, Tarkovsky, all these movies that I hadn't seen, um, on American TV or in the you know small town movie theater. And when there was, I don't know when exactly it happened. It was, I mean, around when I was probably 21 or something like that. I started wondering. I wasn't just entertainment where I would think about it. And, oh, it's a lot like the novel, or it makes me think of this or that. Or, you know, conversations you can have with yourself and with others after seeing a, a movie that it that inspires you. That surprise. You know, when you leave the movie theater, you're surprised. Oh, I'm here. I'm not in Siberia. It's daytime. It's not night. <laughs> you know, that sort of where you're transported. I made a transition to wondering how it was done. How can I be so moved? How can I relate to these characters, even if it's someone in Mongolia, but that's just like my family, you know? And how, what's the trick? How do these people do this? Directors, actors, um, photographers. And so I just wanted to try it, you know? But in a, once I started trying it, it was a kind of a continuation of what I always did as a kid, and what I think all kids do. I mean, I'll, any kid below the age of, say, five, six, doesn't need a director. Uh, doesn't need a second take. Doesn't need to be told, I don't feel that you're really believing <laughs> that you are, you know, Blackbeard or something, or Pocahontas. Uh, they don't need it. And then, as adults, we are like the kids we were, but we do need help to remind us to just take a chance, you know, to, uh, I think it was Mike Nichols that said, the safest thing you can do is take a chance, you know, and that goes for the types of stories you tell, the way you tell them, the risks you take, and, and um, I don't know, I just wanted to try it, and one of the first experiences I had, I mean, I did a couple short films and a little theater, and the first movie I, I wasn't cut out of <laughs> was uh, well, that's all, always surprising, you know. You tell your family it's coming out Friday, and then they go and they're lying. What are you doing in New York City? <laughs> you know, um, was a movie with Peter Weir directed, Witness, and I got the absolute wrong idea of how the movie business works. I was on a set that was uh, calm. There was no shouting. Everybody finished their work at a civilized hour. Um, it was friendly, people were having fun, the director knew how to help the actors when they couldn't figure out what they're doing, otherwise he stayed out of the way, it was wonderful, you know? And uh, if you want to see the dailies, you can see them. There was none of the paranoia and the yelling, 
that I later learned is kind of the norm. <laughs> you know, and, that, and I didn't have an experience like that for many years, but you learn when it's not working. I mean, as an actor, the best thing you can do is be flexible, you know, I suppose in life too, but you have to adjust very quickly to, you know, people have mentioned directors who essentially may be very intelligent, but they don't know what they're doing in terms of helping actors. Uh, I agree that the main thing a director needs to do is cast well and then stay out of the way. But if you need help, they need to be able to, to help you. Sometimes the best help a director can give you is, I don't know, I don't know what to tell you. I really, to admit, I have no idea. Let's just try it again. You know what I mean? It's simple. And uh, I'm wandering. But no, I just, to tell stories, you know, to, to, to do what I did as a kid. And, I, and that's what I still enjoy, you know, the movie that was shown here tonight was a great experience. It was as good or better than my first experience. Matt Ross is a director who really does know how to help um, help actors. And he had a big chore. I mean, it was, if you see the movie, you'll see it wasn't an easy thing to shoot. You know, I play a father of six kids from the age of seven to like 18, living in the middle of the woods. And they're all like, they're kind of like wild animals and single parenting that was, it was fun, but it was a challenge, and for, for Matt more than anyone. But I, I've learned a lot just watching, you know, and I, I'm glad in a way that I got my start doing small parts where I got to hang around and just watch how other people did it, you know. Um, even years later, there was a... That'll be the last thing I say about it. But um, there's a movie that Tony Scott, the late Tony Scott directed called Crimson Tide. And I had a part uh, that I was in it here and there, and it was being shot not far from where I lived at the time. And, and it was being shot in Culver City, and I lived in Venice at the time. And I would go on my days off and just watch Gene Hackman and Denzel Washington do battle. And it was great. It was like free acting class, you know. And I, anybody who's an actor, uh, I recommend that they go on the days they're not working as much as they can, because you never know. You never know what you, and the, the pressure's off. You're just watching them, so you see, oh, especially when there's a problem. This isn't working, or I'm not getting this emotional moment, or there isn't a connection, or you don't even know why the director's not happy, and the, and the actors maybe don't know why. And it's like, how, do, how are they going to get through the day? How are they going to get this shot? You learn a lot just from, from watching, you know, and, and that's... The, uh, everybody wants to, like, if you want to be an actor, you want to have that big role right away, but it's good not to get the big role right away, I think. The, the flip side of that, um, Diane, what did you do when your daughter said she wanted to be an actress? Was it an enthusiastic endorsement? Was it it's a challenging life? I screamed, no. I said to her, don't, honey, don't. Be a, be a doctor, a lawyer, be anything, but not an actor because it's so intangible. I said, you know, you're judged by, have you put on weight in your backside? Does your chin point when you laugh? It has nothing to do with the work, and it's heartbreaking. And she, she, she was too clever. She said, oh, mother. You know, you're so spiritual and everything. You always encourage everybody to use their gifts. She said, if I wanted to play the piano, you wouldn't tie my arms behind me. And she said, and if I act now, I'll probably get it all out of my system and won't have be interested at all when I'm older. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sure, Laura. How about you, Bryce? Did your father encourage you or say or warn you, Father uh, Ron Howard, your father? Um, they never encouraged or discouraged um, at all, but I had one really kind of funny moment with my parents that was that um, really kind of said a lot, which was when I was applying to schools. I, I in school, I I kind of thought that I, I wanted to be a writer, and um, and then I would act in the plays as well, and um, and so I, I wanted to go to a school where I could have a double major. And my mom is a writer. My dad's a director, and he was an actor. And um, and I went out to dinner with them, and we were sort of, it was like we were, we were discuss I think it was on my 17th birthday. We were really talking about kind of like which schools I should apply to or whatever. And they started pitching their professions to me. And, and, and I realized that they actually, they, they did. Like he was really, you know, he, he wanted me to be an actor or a director, or, you know, or a writer or a producer or whatever. Like, he, he wanted me to be in that industry. And my mom wanted me to be in a creative industry. And, um, it, but it came with a lot of caveats. And I was not allowed to get near it before I was 18. Like, that was, I mean, just no way. So... Um, Why was that? Just because... Well, because when, when, a, when someone is an actor... Canadian perverts. <laughs> Canadian perverts, Canadian exactly. Perverts. 
Well, yeah. but it's, it's interesting because your, fa- your father was a child actor yeah. and turned out pretty well. Yeah, it's, um, it's a full-time job for the parents. It really is when, when you're a minor and you're working professionally. And, um, and, and it's also, you know, it comes with a lot, of, a lot of funny things that kids don't, you know. Some kids handle well and some kids don't. So. Now, what would, what would you do if your own kids said to you, I want to be an actor? I do exactly what my parents did. I would say, you know. How about cool. the, any of the others who when have you're kids? Older. John, what if your kid wants to be an actor? She's two, so we talked about it yesterday. Um, it was a really intense conversation. She had a lot of good points. She said, I'm going to get it out of my system. That must, she must have talked to your daughter. Um, no, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I definitely feel like this is a tough business for sure. I know I won the lottery with, you know, just I was a waiter before I got the office, and after the pilot, I went back to waiting tables because I just thought this will never be real. It's still not. Um, but uh, so I think it's, it's, it's all about supporting what, what she wants to do. And if she really understands it, I think that's the big thing. If she understands what it is she wants and why she wants it, then that's great. But if she wants it for reasons that don't really feel like she has a connection to reality, then I think that's when I'd sort of try to veer her away. Uh, I have one last question, and then we'll open it up for a couple of questions from the audience. Um, when filmmakers pitch you, and I think there are a lot of, filmmakers who are here in the audience, when filmmakers pitch you on projects, beyond just the written page, what is it that's effective in a pitch to you? How about you, Thomas? Just uh, just sheer interest. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, no, but that's kind of genuine. Like, uh, I, I guess if, if, they, if they are passionate about the, the project, have vision about the project, have specif- specificity about the project, and see you within all the pieces of their puzzle, very articulately, then that embodies you with some confidence that, oh, this guy no, or girl mm-hmm. of either gender or race or <laughs> religious background, uh, socioeconomic status, uh, it embodies you with like, oh, this, this person knows what they're doing and then I can trust them a little bit more. Yeah. How about you, Diane? Still thinking about it. Go to somebody else first. John, what are the questions you ask when a filmmaker sits down with you and pitches you? Like someone like Michael Bay. When you sit down with him, what were the questions you asked him? Well, um, how much did this house cost? Um, It's a stumbling number. Um, He's a very successful indie director. Um, No, uh, honestly, you know, it's what Thomas said. It's general interest in, in... you know, as much as you hope that you're the best person, I think there's always fear that there's someone who can do the part better than you. And I feel like that you got to see that in your director, too. And you have to see your director fight out why they're the best person for this, whether it's their own story or something that they've been given the opportunity to do. You need to see that on day one and day last, they're going to be there fighting for you and fighting for the story. And you're all in it together. And everybody here, I'm sure, knows that feeling when you've got an amazing person at the helm who has an intensity and a ferocity to finish it with you. They're, those are the movies that, whether they do well or not, those are the ones that will always stick with you. So it, it really is back to that basic thing, whether you were in theater school or just watch movies in theaters. It's just like whatever you connected to that made you so amped to be a part of this whole business, that's what's got to come out every single time. I can answer now. Okay. <laughs> I think it's split. If it's a filmmaker who wants to use me to help get the picture made, then my quest is, who is this person? What is their passion? What, why do they write this? Why do they get involved in this script? And what is the script like? It's all about the script, the written word. Now, if you go the other way, and it's a big director like David O. Russell or Lynch or Scorsese, then my question uh, on a meeting is, what are your needs to the director? I want to know what he's thinking so that I can fulfill it, so that I can give the best of myself. So it's divided, I think. Rebecca, do you ever ask why me to a director? You say, do why I ever th- ask why me? Yeah. Yes. No, I, I, I do, have done, will continue to do so. Um, yeah, it's a really valid question to ask. Um, I mean, like, I really like those roles that I have a hard time imagining what they are imagining that I'm going to do with it. So I like to sit them down and say, you know, so what do you, what do you, and I think actually often the most appealing, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm rambling now, uh, that 
a director who has defined taste, I suppose, is something that, because if I can trust that, if I can trust that they have opinions and tastes about things and they're not sort of wishy-washy about those things, then you know that the film's going to look right, it's going to sit right, it's going to hold together right. Um, sometimes you don't. But, you know, that is something I think I look for. And I also look for the thing that Vigo said earlier, you know, a, a director that doesn't, doesn't try to rather nervously assure you that they have all the answers for everything and everything is going to be fine, because we all know that's not true. <laughs> we all know that I don't know is something that everyone comes up against, and I like to hear a director say I don't know. After some of those meetings, Bryce, do you, do you, what makes you say yes or pass? Oh, um, I mean, it is, it, it is a, a lot of different things, of course. Um, something that I, I agree with what everyone has been saying, something that I'll just add is, is um, y you want, I mean, uh, making a movie is, uh, is a collaborative experience, and you want to feel like you can really jive with the filmmaker, you know, that you kind of see things in a in a similar way, or you can service their vision, and and um, and you know you you want to know what that vision is, and you know can you service it? And so it's, I think, yeah, like you know you want you you want to be with a, you want to say yes to a project where you feel like I just cannot wait to work with this person. I'm so excited to work with this person, and then it but it it always does come down to the script, you know. Um, unless it's it's it, like an auteur that you really you 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 get that they're just going to get there, because um, I'm a, I'm a director junkie. Like that's like the reason I became an actor was because I was obsessed with directors and was like a fanboy, and so um, so that's like all I you know cared about. So you you want to feel that way about your your director. And finally, Vigo, what was the casting process like on Lord of the Rings? What was your meeting with Peter Jackson like? Because you were you were cast as the star of a major huge multi tens of million dollar trilogy and at the time you you weren't someone whose name sold a movie on his own so what was what were those conversations like with peter jackson hundreds of millions of dollars hundreds budget, of millions, yes which for those three movies to cost whatever it was 300 and something was nothing compared to what they those kinds of things are now but i came to it very late you know there was someone else that was already cast which was a tricky thing not someone i knew personally but it was a, they came to a mutual decision after some rehearsal that, that he was too young for the part. And so they asked me if I wanted to do it. I'll never forgive you for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now this is awkward. You would have be, been so good. <laughs> you got the beard coming in. It's perfect. Um, no, and so I felt funny about that. Uh, and once I said yes... Well, I also, was, I hadn't read the trilogy. I'd read The Hobbit years before, and I hadn't read it. So I just thought, these people have been there a long time, rehearsing and preparing all their language things and bows and arrows and I don't know what else. And um, I didn't think it was, I at first said I didn't want to do it because I didn't think I would. You have to know if you're going to be able to. Sometimes it's just fear, and the, it's always a different decision. You know, when you know something has potential and you could be right for the part, but you have to be honest with yourself. If you don't really think you're going to be ready, not just you're afraid, but you know, the, the uh, mature professional thing to do is say no, really. Um, uh, but in this case, it was intriguing. And in the end, I said yes. I didn't meet him. It was a phone conversation. Wow, he cast you over the phone. Yeah, well, they were desperate. <laughs> <laughs> they really were at that point. They'd already started shooting, and so it was a crash course. But, you know, uh, the thing that you were saying about, I was thinking about the different things that people were saying about directors when you meet, and as a general rule, <clears throat> I would like it to always be that way, but I know that there are some directors who don't show you the script, like Woody Allen is someone who's sometimes like that, uh, I think, and there are some directors who won't. But I... At the risk of, well, you're not going to get to play that part. I don't, I don't meet a director unless I've read the script and I think it's interesting. Someone says, well, I just want to pitch you. I always say no. And I've lost some jobs that way. But I like to read the thing, have my impressions of it, and then go in. And then as far as working with someone, it's often just an instinctual thing, a human thing. I just look at them, and when they tell me 
And the, and the way to relax in those situations, I find, is I'm, I'm auditioning you. You know what I mean? Same as if somebody's uh, critiquing your movie or you're at a Q&A session. It's like, um, I think Lars von Trier one time talked about this when they were hammering him at Cannes because he had said some stupid thing. Not the first time. Um, he said, well, I, I feel that you are my guests coming to see my movie. I'm, it's not the other way around. So that takes the onus off. And if you feel, I'm, I'm meeting someone, I have nothing to lose, I'm auditioning this director. Doesn't matter who the director is. If you have that in your mind, that calms you. And then you can actually listen and not be like, uh, you know, thinking about extraneous things. And sometimes it's as simple as that when you ask them, well, why do you want to make this movie? And if that answer, there's something about it that doesn't click, it's personal. And you can make a mistake that way, but that's what I go on. It's kind of a gut feeling once you studied the thing and you come in and you have questions and I'm I tend to get along with with the directors I work with no matter how different they are you just yeah like I say you have to be flexible try to figure out what it is they're looking for including why me all those questions it's hmm. there's nothing that you should you shouldn't walk out of that meeting feeling I should have asked this you should ask everything right. and if they think you're insane or too forward well, then you probably shouldn't work with them anyway. You know, so. Okay, thank you. We have time for one or two questions in the back with the glasses. No, somebody else tell. <laughs> we all have. Feel those free to name names. You know, you know what that's like when you remember when you were a kid and you had a crush on a girl. And oh my God, you just wanted to just you you just wanted to just be with her or hold her hand or dick her out, and you had all these fantasies, and she wouldn't give you the time of day. Then there's the other extreme, where you go out with the girl and you can't stand her and you can't get rid of her. She just keeps calling you. That's what making a film is like. You never know. You never know. It's trust and it's everything that everybody has said, but it's also I think uh, the work. I love the work. I don't always like the business. But I love the work. And like Vigo, most of us, I remember I, I started at 17 years old. And I believed I was supposed to be an actress. But I, I, I did comedy. I did I had Copa Girl. I danced. I sang. I passed out fruitcake at Bloomingdale's. You do what you have to do. And you take the part sometimes because you're in control and you want it. Sometimes you're just so glad to get it. I mean, there are 28 parts for every male for one part for a female. And most of them are for younger females. So you can't always be so choosy. But if you are choosy, then you hope you choose the best. And if you're lucky and you've had a lot of experience, usually you do. But not always. It's just life. That's all. How about here in the front row? Hi, my name is Jobin Gill. I'm with Pacific Magazine from San Diego. I'm also an undergraduate at UC Berkeley. And I'm here with about 20 other students. And we're all here at Sundance for the first time. And we're all really passionate about the film industry and some of us are aspiring actors. So my question is that Berkeley is a pretty diverse campus and a lot of us are minorities and have very different ethnic and racial backgrounds. So it's hard for us to find opportunities in the film industry and roles to audition for. So I was wondering if any of you had advice for what may, we can do. May I say something to that? The yeah. reason when he asked me before about uh, the challenging as an actor that I talked about Runaway Productions is because when I first started out, when Marlon Brando and Shelley Winters and them started out, there were 35 movies every week being made. I came in 12 or 15 years later in an in-between stage. Now there's hardly 35 movies a year being made. So when I first started, I could fight for one line or two lines in a part, and it was thrilling, and I got to see Betty Davis work or Barbara Stanwyck or Spencer Tracy. But here's what I got. I got to get their energy. I got to feel inside their greatness, learn their master trade from just from watching them. And because of Runaway Productions, those opportunities are going to people in Spain and Prague and not to you, not to you. And that's what you have to fight for. And you have to fight for more work for you and the next generation because entertainment is a great way of communication and evolving for the whole country, for your life and everybody. And if you want to be an artist, you got to kick dirt and fight for yourselves. 
We always did. Everybody here. I'm sure everybody here has sobbed at night when somebody says, how you feel today? You say, great. Well, which minute of today are they talking about? <laughs> when you find out you couldn't pay the rent or somebody cheated you and was unfaithful? Life is a diversity. So embrace it and fight for your parts. Write them. Fight for them. Anyone have any other specific advice for aspiring actors? Create your own content. For sure. Become writers. Uh, writing is so hard for everyone, so you might as well just do it, right? And, um, and that, that, is, that is our future. You know, there are, there are so many places now where content is being seen, and, and so it's possible. It's possible now in a way that it, it, it wasn't ever before. So, yeah. One more question. How about over here on the left? Uh, so about half of you up there have directed films, most of which are playing here. I'm curious for the other half, have you ever considered directing or what it would take to get you to give that a try? Yes, I just, I just produced a film, actually, that I was acting in as well. So I, I'm, I'm, get, I'm sort of edging my way closer to the thing that I might quite like to do. But don't hold me to it. <laughs> How about you, Vigo? Have you, you haven't directed, have you? No, I, uh, I would like to. I've written uh, three scripts that I would, any one of them I would like to do. And um, apart from just being and having been an actor isn't necessarily an advantage. It depends what kind of actor. There's all kinds of actors. I've been directed by actors who didn't know anything about talking to actors, strangely. And then the other extreme, like Matt Ross for Captain Fantastic, a, a fine actor, who is a fine director because he knows how to talk with you as an actor, and it's a big advantage that he was an actor. Um, I think one advantage I may have is that I like stories. I've always been interested in how the movie's made from the beginning. Like I said before, I like to hang around. I'm curious about how it's shot. I'm also a photographer, so I like to know what lens is, and I can imagine why they're doing that, why is it lit this way. But I think the, the only important advantage I have at the moment, apart from experience in the movie business, is that I actually like actors. <laughs> I find them to be interesting. And I've worked with a lot of directors who don't seem to like actors. They want to get to the editing room. They want to put their movie out there. And actors are tools that are often annoying to them. You, some of them come out and say it. Right. But others just let you know that that's how they feel. And you're on your own. And you have to ally with the other actors to try to make real something that's difficult to make real because the director's nowhere in sight. All right, our time is up. But I just want to thank on behalf of The Hollywood Reporter and Sundance TV, our actor panel today.